Lights, camera, action. Okay, folks, well, welcome uh, to uh, virtual Bentley Baptist Church this morning. Um, look, this is all a bit new. Um, for those that are regulars, uh, Tuesday night we, uh, we had a council meeting so that we could get one step ahead of everything that was happening with uh, the coronavirus. And uh, so we had a really nice plan all sorted out and what we were going to do and how we would meet together this Sunday and this would be our last Sunday and we'd let you know how we were going to do things and we'd practice with technology this week and get everything sorted. So we had this really nice plan that uh, 12 hours later, suddenly uh, everything changed. So. Um, so here we are, you're at home, there's uh, three of us here in the church and uh, the world is a very different place. Um, so this week is very much just um, having a play with the technology, seeing how we can get things working and uh, whether, whether this is going to work. Um, we suspect that... Um, some of the audio for you might be a bit soft, so um, please bear with us this week. We'll uh, work through the week to get some other systems in place so that we can make sure that uh, next week things are a bit clearer and uh, we'll endeavour to start on time next week. But uh, here we are. Um, we'll give it a go and uh, hopefully you're able to get something out of it. Probably just as we uh, I'll invite Garth up in a second, but um, given that um, we really haven't had an opportunity to uh, talk together as a group about how to deal with this situation, uh, we're now, uh, if you read, read the letter, we're working on physical distancing rather than social isolation so we're wanting to really encourage people and we've already talked to a number of home groups that are exploring creative ways of keep, keeping connected through phone and facebook and various other means so so really want to encourage you to keep working on that to find creative ways of connecting with people even if you can't do that physically just to be able to give people a ring have a chat um, offer to help for those that uh, might be a bit isolated. So, so we'll put some other things in place, but um, I might pray and then I'll hand over to Garth to bring us our message this morning. So let's pray. Father God, uh, we live in some pretty uncertain times, um, but we have the confidence that uh, this hasn't taken you by surprise. Uh, you see the beginning from the end and uh, you know all that's taking place. So Father, as we work to connect with each other, to provide support and encouragement to each other, help us to be creative, uh, help us to be able to find the technology that's going to work for us and uh, yeah, above all, Father, help us to be able to 
not get caught up in some of the fear that uh, is around us, but to be able to put our trust and our hope in you and to be confident in that. So Father, as Garth comes and shares with us this morning, we just pray that uh, he will bring your words to us as we connect across the city. Uh, so be with him, uh, speak to him and to us through him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Garth. Good morning, church. I hope you're nice and comfortable in your armchairs and your lounge chairs with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and a little bit to eat and are able to just, uh, at least in some way, feel connected and not socially uh, isolated uh, this morning. As Andy said, let's uh, keep up uh, looking at our Facebook page, church Facebook page and other emails that come as we just try and get our heads around this and keep us uh, connected as a church. Uh, continuing on these words of Jesus from the cross. So to do that, we turn to John 19 and verse 25. John 19 and verse 25 as we come to this fifth word. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The fifth word is, I am thirsty. And when I read that again over the last couple of weeks, so much came to my mind when I thought of thirst. And one of the great memories for me was our youngest daughter, Rebecca. She was about two years old. She'd been playing outside in the hot sun. And she came racing in and plonked down on the mat in the kitchen and said, I thirsty. We got her a drink in her cup. And in seconds, she'd glugged the whole thing down, threw the cup on the floor, jumped up and went outside again. I thirsty. But one of the other lasting visions for me is, having lived in Central Australia and other desert places, was to watch the parched, very dry and dusty, arid desert soaking up water, I guess like a giant, thirsty Chuck Superwhite after the rain. It was just so thirsty and it just soaked it up and soaked it up and soaked it up. As we look at this word, there are some who see this cry of Jesus purely and simply as a fulfilment of the prophetic words indicated in the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 69 and verse 3. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. So the cry of Jesus fulfills this messianic psalm and declares that he is Jesus 
the Messiah. Obviously, Jesus was also physically thirsty. The whole stress of the trial, the cross itself, the hanging there in the heat, in the midday sun of a hot Middle Eastern climate. And I've been told that dying of dehydration, physical thirst, is not all that pretty. But for me, it seems a little shallow and artificial just to say that Jesus cried this out to fulfil the word of that psalm and to show that he was physical thirsty. I think there's a lot more behind this cry of Jesus, I am thirsty. You see, for me, there is actually a real aridity, a real dryness of Jesus' spirit, of Jesus' soul when he made that cry. There's an inner dryness that had been placed upon him due to his sin-bearing action. Psalm 86 says that 68 says this, the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Psalm 107 verse 33 says, he turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. The wickedness of mankind is creating this deep soul thirst in Jesus. So on the cross, Jesus took into himself the entirety of the dryness of the sin of the world. In suffering the sinfulness of man, he absorbed into himself man's dreary dryness. During his forsakenness, which Neil spoke to us so well about last week, Jesus had to go out into the dry places of man's sin and the waterless, salty wastes of the human spirit. He could only take with him the reserves of his human nature, his human spirit that he had before those three hours of God-forsaken darkness. He could not replenish his human spirit until the work of the cross was completed. And that's when he cried out, I am thirsty. When he'd completely borne the aridity of the sinfulness of mankind. Again last week, Neil referred to Psalm 22, that psalm that would have been in the mind and the heart of Jesus that he wouldn't have been able to get out. And in Psalm 22, verse 14, we read, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. That's where the cry, cry of aridity in Jesus comes from. I am thirsty. It comes from the dust of death. Man is dry, oh, so very dry in himself. And it's that dryness, the very dryness of sin and death that Christ was taking into himself at that moment. Here's the one who promised streams of living water will flow from within you. Now he's soul thirsted so that men would never need to thirst again from the dust of death. It's a powerful cry. We don't need to suffer again from the dust, the death of sin. Jesus truly understood the words of the psalmist, Psalm 42, 1. We sing this song, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, 
for the living God. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 143, 6, I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. In Jesus, on the cross, were all the deep soul thirsts of mankind for all time wrapped up in the dust of death. And so Jesus could really now promise, could bring to fruition the promise he made in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I wonder too if... As Jesus was there, he would be filled with the knowledge that the river of life flowing down the centre of the city of God, which he was now opening up, was the life-giving stream that he was opening up as he cried out in his suffering, I am thirsty. Revelation 22, 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. Hebrews tells us that Jesus faced all this shame and this humiliation and the indignity and the crushing of the cross with great joy. I wonder if the sight of man drinking in the water of life is what kept Jesus going. To see the rivers of life flowing from forgiven, restored mankind would crown his joy. The awful anguish of his thirst at Calvary would be matched by the quenching of thirst that desperate sinners would discover at the river of life. I wonder if that wasn't part of the joy of Jesus. He could see redeemed humanity drinking from a stream of living water. I want us just to back up a little this morning and reflect a little more on what this cry is all about. I am thirsty. In several places in the scriptures, we read that, that our God is a spring or a fountain of living water, that he's a living God. Jeremiah 2.13 is clear. Our God is the spring, the fountain of living water. It's a picture of gushing fountain flowing out, unaided from its own source, a supply that, that never, ever runs out. And having lived in the Kimberley, in the Pilbara, in central Australia, you can go there in the driest of dries, two or three years without much rain at all, and you can see these springs still gushing out water. That's our God, a never-ending stream of living water. And this stream of life is his love, his goodness, his mercy, his truth, his forgiveness, his grace, his holiness, his salvation that keep on flowing endlessly, his care and his love for us. And he has created every one of us in such a way that we can actually receive these things. We can actually receive this life, this living water from him. He supplies man's needs on every level of our being. And he sustains the entire creation. What did Paul say? In God we live and move and have our being. That's where our existence is, in God. 
God has created us to live a life of dependency on him, drinking from him as the spring of living water. This is what makes us truly human. But, so often there's a but in the scriptures. Jeremiah 2.13 continues though, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own systems, broken systems that cannot hold water. Forsaken God, the spring of living water. We've turned away from God and showed him our backs, rejected him, and in doing that, we've become independent. You would think we'd be fascinated with this endless supply from the fountain of life, but no, mankind prefers his own life, his own wisdom. And obviously man started it, as he started this, he becomes dry in his autonomy. We forsake God, we dig our own systems. They dug out their own wells to hold water, but they cracked or the rock was porous and they dried up and were unable to hold any water. Turned their back on God, dug something for themselves, but it was dry. Living in the southeast of South Australia, we used to drive to Adelaide through a district called Padthewaite, great wine growing area, and water everywhere to grow other crops. And you could see alongside of the road bores that were, I guess, about um, two foot in diameter. And you'd just see this full stream of water flowing out. Every time we went past, you'd see this full stream of water coming out to irrigate. And yet you could go just 20 or 30. Uh, kilometres across the border into Western Victoria. And there they would dig dams and more dams to hold water. And you'd see those dams drying up in the dry, becoming cracked and holding no water. It's a picture of man becoming fascinated by his own resources to live life. Stuff, you know, gaining money and possessions, success, work and more work. Let's party, that whole self-indulgent thing, sex and romance, leisure and pleasure. Nothing wrong with any of those things in themselves, but if that's where we create our dependency, there's trouble ahead. So what happens to man as he severs his dependency on God? He becomes dry and dusty in his rebellion and his self-dependence. In a sense, the image of God in man begins to go in reverse. This is the person who deems God unworthy of their faith and is left to wallow in the dust of death and sin. And there is no end to that thirst. The words we read this morning, I am thirsty, come from the Gospel of John and it reminds us that Jesus met a Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of a hot day. She'd come to get water. She was an outcast. We can talk about that another day. But Jesus is there and he asks her for a drink of water and she gives him a drink of water. And then this is what Jesus says. Everyone who drinks this water, this water that she's just drawn up from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. We see in the scriptures 
that thirst is a metaphor for the spiritual emptiness that comes when God is not the centre of our lives. Sure, we might believe in God, but if he's not the practical, central reality of our lives, then that's a different thing. We need streams of living water to continually wash over and through our souls. We need a knowing of God through experiences to quench our thirst and it changes as the rain changes a parched desert. So Jesus was saying to this woman at the well, and he says it to us, if you put the bucket of your thirsty heart and soul down into anything other than the love of God, other than the glory and grace of God, other than the beauty and comfort of God, you will thirst again. When we put the bucket of our thirsty hearts and souls into leisure and pleasure, accumulation of stuff, work and more work, sex and romance, we are choosing the wrong source to satisfy our souls. The thirst we have is God-given and it is for the living water. But we put that thirst into something else and wonder why life is hard. What was it that the psalmist said in Psalm 42? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And it's the picture of the psalmist being able to get to the temple where the presence of God was especially known. The thirst is a call to meet the living God. When can I get into his presence and see the face of God? This is how it comes out in the message. A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God. Deep draughts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it arrive and drink in God's presence? None of us were expecting to have our gathering together taken away from us. It's interesting, it's in the Lent season where we often talk about giving things up. None of us expected that to happen. But in the risen Jesus who cried out, I am thirsty, you can meet with him right now in your lounge room in that comfort. You can drink from him. Is your heart and soul a little dry and dusty? Do you have a thirst for the living God this morning? Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. You and I, if you like, were created to be under fountains of God. This is what makes us truly human. We were created to be totally dependent on him as the source of life, as I've said. And our hearts are to be wellsprings of life. They need to be in constant contact with the fountain of fountains. We must watch our hearts with all diligence to prevent them from trying to quench their thirst in sources other than God. We have a responsibility here to keep pushing our hearts towards God. Without that dependent relationship, we're just a handful of dust, depending on our own resources. 
when I was working on the Air Peninsula in South Australia, furthest wheat farm west in South Australia, a little place called Nundroo, going across the Nullarbor if you have been. One evening after the boss and I had finished the harvest for the day, it was about half past nine, ten o'clock at night, they had daylight saving then, and we decided to drive home past cattle, which he had in a um, paddock which had plenty of trees and everything else. It was a bit of a scrub paddock, just to check on them to see that they were all okay. And as we got fairly close, we could hear this ruckus around the trough. We could hear the trough being kicked. We could hear this horrible, mournful mooing of the cattle who were gathering around that trough. And as we hopped out of the Land Rover, we could see that there was no water there. We chased the line back up to the bore and discovered a break in the water line. They were disconnected from their fountain, the bore. Is there a break between you and God, the source of goodness, love, truth, mercy, forgiveness? Revelation 22 says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And Isaiah the prophet in chapter 12, verse 3 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The cry, I am thirsty enables us to drink joyfully in the wells of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we find it hard to imagine what our Jesus went through on the cross. Difficult to imagine but he went through the depth and the darkness and the horror of the cross that we might have the dryness and dustiness and barrenness of our souls riddled with sin, have them quenched, the, the thirst quenched. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus wholeheartedly. And in these days when our world is changing so much, even just the small world we live in here in Perth, pray that we will keep bringing our hearts to you, that we will encourage each other to bring our hearts to you, that we might stay alive and joyous in the refreshing waters from the deep wells of your salvation. Father, I pray that you will bless us wherever we are, that you will hold us together by your spirit until we can return to this place and enjoy each other's physical presence again. We ask that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Just encourage you to stay tuned to Facebook page and to your emails and so on as we just keep updating necessary communication. Thank you. Thanks, Garth, for sharing with us this morning. And uh, thanks for those that have tuned in. A uh, few little hiccups there early, but uh, it sounds like we got there in the end. And uh, for those that 
wouldn't normally come and visit us on a Sunday morning. Thanks for joining us as well. Good to have a few other visitors out there. So, uh, so as Garth said, stay tuned to Facebook. Uh, we'll endeavour to uh, keep you updated with what's happening. Encourage you to keep connecting with uh, others from the fellowship and those around you in your, your local neighbourhood to uh, support and encourage them. So thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.